Hello, fellow Redbirds. Welcome to Bird Fans Forever podcast number 34. Please follow us on our at Bird Fans Forever Twitter account to be notified of our latest podcast videos to participate in our fun polls. Also, go visit our website, www.birdfansforever.com, where you can find a list of our previous podcasts. Finally, visit Bird Fans Forever on YouTube and dunk on that subscribe button. Our YouTube site has our previous podcasts. In addition, YouTube has our archive of classic Redbird games that have accumulated thanks to so many Redbird fans who've been kind enough to share their video libraries with us. We hope to keep adding to our collection of games, and if you're a fan, chances are that you'll find a game on there that you'll want to lose a couple of hours watching. I recommend the game we watched at the Drury Inn on Saturday night in St. Louis this past season, the 2012 NIT tournament game versus Old Miss. A big offensive shooting match starring Tyler Brown and Nick Moore that the Redbirds pull out. Our guest for today was the voice of Redbird basketball for 36 years and for Redbird football for 32 years. He called many of my favorite games, including the 2015 FCS title game in Frisco, Texas. He's a member of the Percy Family Hall of Fame in, 19, in 1998 and retired from announcing just this last year. We'll be right back with our podcast featuring Dit Lucky. Welcome to episode... 34 of Bird Fans Forever with Dick Lucky. Um, Dick Lucky was the voice of the WJBC broadcast from 1981 to 1998. He took five years off to go do something else at the same place I work at. And then from 2003, he returned to 2022 until he retired. Dick, welcome. Hey, thank you, John. Great to be here. This is awesome. So Dick was my, you know, announcer I got to do a lot of post-game with him, especially my sophomore year. So, Dick, as we always start, and you already know from Constitution Trail, what the first question is, how'd you get the issue? Well, I was working at a radio station in the Quad Cities. Uh, doing Actually, I was one of about five guys doing University of Iowa basketball. And, uh, wow. and was, the, was in on the Iowa broadcasts when the Hawkeyes made it to the Final Four. In wow. 1980, nice. uh, that was a great team. Ronnie Lester, remember him? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Kevin Boyle, who uh, was a broadcaster actually at Northern Iowa for a long time. Anyway, that's where I was when I heard about the opening at WJBC here in Bloomington. And uh, it was a guy that I worked with previous to my time in the Quad Cities when I was in Indianapolis, a guy named Don Fisher, who's still the voice of the Indiana University Hoosiers, but he knew Bob Donawald because Donawald was uh, one of Bobby Knight's assistants at Indiana, right. and uh, Donawald called him when Art Kimball, my predecessor, left and, and told him there was an opening and, and suggested that he find the guy to... to uh, to take Art Kimball's place, and he called me and told me to apply for the job, and I got it. And so it was wonderful. I mean, I, I came here into a smaller community than I had been in, Indianapolis and, and the Quad Cities, but I was just so excited to be the voice of a Division One college football and basketball team. Very cool. All right, we were going to have you talk a little bit about your, your family, right? You've been in Bloomington now for the last... 50, 40 years, 40 years since 1982. Yep, a little over 42 years, basically. Yep, 42 yep. years, yeah. And I love it here. This is a wonderful community. Yes, yeah, 97, 98. And that's when I worked full-time at WJBC 
Okay. And that radio station, at one time, WJBC, this was in the late 70s, early 80s, had the largest market share in the country. Really? Yes. And that's, you have to remember that in markets of this size, like Bloomington Normal, there are not nearly as many stations as there are in bigger markets, especially right, right, right. Chicago, for example. So it's it, it, the station that does have the biggest market share in the country is more likely to be, is almost positively going to be in a community that's not very large. But still, okay. there are lots of communities of this size. And right. I learned so much from the people with whom I worked at WJBC. I don't know if you know these names, Don Munson, Steve Vogel. Yes. Stu yes. Stalowitz, uh, they were just absolutely fantastic people to work with and people to learn from, learn communication skills from. And that's what I did, especially when I first came here. It was a wonderful, wonderful place. I left there to go to State Farm, which was a fantastic experience. Uh, I knew absolutely nothing about the insurance industry when I started there, but uh, I had to learn it in a hurry because I was a spokesperson for that company and I was talking to uh, media organizations from all over the country, like the Wall Street Journal or CBS News. And so there was a lot at stake. It was rather, uh, it was rather nerve wracking at times, but I learned about the insurance industry. It was fascinating to me and I, and I really enjoyed my time there. And I assume, John, you're enjoying your, okay. your time there. It's a great place. Been there 25 years, yeah. I have an alias that is just ahead of you because I started in September of 97. Okay. And you didn't start until the spring of 98. So I started just a couple months ahead of you. Um, and so, yeah. And then, so, now fast forward to 2003. Yep. You're at State Farm, and then all of a sudden, WJBC comes to ask you again? Yes. Or... Because the guy who replaced me, Mark Johnson, who was right. a great play-by-play -play man and is now the voice at the University of Colorado, um, he left after four years. John Fitzgerald, who is now the voice of the Redbirds, came in for just one year. But it wasn't working for him. And actually, he wanted to be a, a college baseball coach, which he was after that. Now he's back doing Illinois State football and basketball. But he stayed only one year. And at that time, they had to find a replacement, and they asked me if I could do it. And I, I could only do basketball, actually, at first, because I was, a, a, as I said, a spokesperson for State Farm. Uh, and they used me particularly when there were hurricanes. And hurricane season and football season are, are uh, <laughs> pretty concurrent. And so I, I couldn't do football until after about four more years. And then I went back to doing football as well. But... I'm so happy that I did get the chance to go back to doing what I dreamed of doing when I was a little kid. I just uh, I loved thinking about it then, and I loved doing it all of the years I did it. So, Dick, growing up, did you play sports? Well, I, I tried. Yeah, I played a lot, but I wasn't talented <laughs> enough to make uh, my high school team except in cross country and track. I, was, I went to a big high school, and so maybe that was part of the problem, but... But I didn't have the athletic talent that I wanted to have. I could run a little bit. I still run, actually. <laughs> I love running, but otherwise I couldn't do it. So um, you grew up in Minnesota, right? Right. In, so... Actually in Bloomington, Minnesota. Now I'm in Bloomington, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> so hockey's a big sport there. Oh, right? yes. And I did play hockey. I love that sport. And I have a couple of grandkids up in Evanston. 
a boy and a girl. They're 17 and 15, and they both play hockey at Evanston Township High School. Very did you cool. ever call a hockey game or no? Well, I did when I was a student at the University of Minnesota. I worked for the student station and did Minnesota Gopher hockey games, and that was wonderful. And actually, I, uh, my grandson, the Evanston Township Junior Varsity Hockey, is uh, shown on YouTube, and their regular announcer was gone for a couple of games, so I went up there and did it for them. This was back. Oh, oh really? So yeah. awesome! Cool. Back around Thanksgiving, actually, of this past season, and that was it was wonderful. I hadn't, I hadn't done hockey since I was a college guy, yeah. so it had been a long time. So I don't know how well I did, but it was still fun. Hockey's right, so, non, non-stop too, right? Oh yeah, it is. It is the most challenging sport. I think, for a play-by-play announcer. It is nonstop. It's very fast, especially a radio play-by-play hockey man. Um, to, to paint the picture of that action with uh, lineup changes constantly changing, uh, because they, they do it on the, on the fly, of course. They have to. It's really tough. So you did football, basketball, and hockey. You do any other sport? Well, I miss in one. college, I did baseball. You did baseball. And the University of Minnesota at that time had a very good baseball program. They had a guy named Dave Winfield, who, yeah. uh, who I got to know a little bit. I interviewed him a few times. Uh, he's very from cool. St. Paul, and he got a baseball scholarship at the University of Minnesota and was, of course, their standout player. He was a pitcher for the Gophers. He was their really? best pitcher. For a team wow. that went to the College World Series. So he's just such an athlete. And then yeah. he wound up playing basketball. He went there on a baseball scholarship. The story I'm told is that Bill Musselman, who was at that time the yeah. coach for the Gophers, was told about this kid who was a baseball player at Minnesota and who plays intramural basketball. you got to come out and watch him. And so Musselman did, and after he did, he offered him a place on his team. Winfield wound up starting for a Big Ten champion team. Wow. He's an athlete. Oh, he's He's tremendous. And a great guy. Tremendous. Yeah, that is awesome. Was Paul Molitor there? He was after me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you, you announced those. Uh, I have now come in my, as Dick and I have been working together, so there was a device that when Dick would set up his equipment, w- would as the he would call the game, this device would get it out and it would send it to JVC, but on top of that device was a little cassette thing, and so he's got all these cassettes that we are converting into digital. I now know that he has done... Uh, because I recorded one, and when I sent you, I sent him 68. He gave me 68 tapes. I returned 68 tapes with the digital copy and some CD copies. And I know you have Wesleyan. So you did Illinois State, you did Wesleyan, and you said you did high school. So what high schools did you also do? Well, the, the, at that time, there were four inner-city high schools, uh, Bloomington, Normal Community, Central Catholic, and Uhi, and we would do as many of their games as we could. Uh, and I would do as many as I could. Uh, sometimes I would do a high school game on Friday night, 
a Wesleyan game on Saturday afternoon and a Redbird game on Saturday night. If, if, really? If I, and, and there were times when the birds would play early. The, the Missouri Valley game of the week would start at 11 a.m. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. And so the, the, I remember times when, when I would do the home game for the Redbirds and then the Titans, Wesleyan, would be playing like up at Elmhurst or something like that. Right after the game, we would uh, drive up to Elmhurst and, and get the uh, Titan game on the air that evening. Wow. So I know that. So for the high schools, you were doing football and basketball? And yes. And for Wesleyan, football and basketball? Yes. The ones you could. That's well, so in football, awesome. it was rare because the football games, of course, were always on Saturday. If there was a yeah. Redbird home yeah. game and a Titan home game and one of them was at night, I could do both. Right, right. right or if right. The, there was an open date for one of them. So, Dick, we were talking about you, you call different sports. You, you did a little bit of hockey, a little bit of baseball, but you mostly did uh, football and basketball. Right. And just you know, listening to you call the two different games, it's – you know, a different style, a different way to paint the picture. So tell us a little bit contrast of like doing a football game versus a basketball. Well, it is different, mainly because of the tempo of the sports. Basketball is continuous action, and it's a little bit like hockey, but it's easier to describe than hockey because it doesn't go quite as quickly. Whereas football, there's time between, there's quite a bit of time between each play. And so your analyst, the guy who's your partner, has more time to talk uh, than the analyst in, in a basketball broadcast. And so your, your connection with that analyst is critical, certainly in both sports, but probably even more so in football. And then football, I mean, when you're describing the play, a lot happens in, in the time of a, a few seconds, and you have to be you have to be accurate, and you have to keep up with it, and that's very challenging. But I love both, and I love the fact that they're different. It's it's a different job, and and I like that. So, so when you're doing basketball and the, and the plays like continuous, and then the stats are constantly being updated. How, how are you working that in? Well, is, is the game still moving? Yeah, it's easier these days because the stats are are available to you. Uh, there's somebody keeping them, and, and you have I have my iPad with me, and I can just look down and see how many points John Pemberton has scored <laughs> ten minutes into the game, and uh, well, how that, many that turnovers. That's pretty easy to keep track of. <laughs> number of fouls. That would have been a high number. That would have been a very high number. Yes, thank you. Was there ever a moment where, like you're doing basketball and you've seen this, like there's no fouls being called. There's nothing going out of bounds. It's just on and on. Are you like wanting to call a timeout? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, I might be eager at, in some situations for a stoppage of play uh, just yeah. to be able to, to say something and to, and to give a chance for the analyst, the guy working with me, whether it was Tom Hodgson or Bob Morris or, or Mike Matthews uh, to give uh, that guy a chance to say something. Yeah, you probably got the opposite though when they're calling a foul every every time down the court. You're probably like, let let this thing roll a little bit, right? Well, and then there's the challenge of talking about the officiating, which I pretty much try not to do. That's more the analyst's job, I think, than the play-by-play guy's job. But uh, you you know you see a call that you don't agree with. So what do you say? Uh, I, I tried not to say anything about it. 
Yeah, I have to say, I mean, for the most part, you, you come off, at least in my mind, but we're Redbird fans, as being somewhat <laughs> neutral. A little biased. We're a little well, biased. Well, sure. But... I, to some degree, I am. But I don't yeah. want, I mean, my job is to, is to describe what's happening so that those who aren't at the game can envision what's happening. And so I want to be as accurate as I can. And, uh, and you know, something horrible happens for the Redbirds. I need to describe that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm converting those tapes over, and so I'm getting to listen to these games as I'm digitizing them. And so what fans don't get, and what we're going to hopefully, if we get a chance to post these games, is when they go into a timeout, you don't hear the commercial. You can hear Dick and Hottie talking, and there's like, uh, the first game I did was a St. Louis game, a little bit, you know, selfishly for myself. Um, I played well once, maybe twice in my career, but I played well, and they were like, oh, he's doing this great. I can't believe he made that catch, and blah, 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 and it's good. And then there was another game I did at the bread of the game where I fouled three people in the first minute of the game, and Hottie and Dick are like, what did Pemberton eat? This is ridiculous. <laughs> Three fouls in 90 seconds? He's going to be sitting on the bench until two minutes left in the game. You know? You know, and Hottie's like, he's going to be sitting there for 37 minutes. I hope he brought some preparation H. And so, <laughs> it's like, ooh, that hurts, right? It's the truth, though, right? I mean, you know, and so we wanted to ask you, talk about, getting a student athlete on after the game, right? Got to be easy after a win. They're all chatty happy. It's the losses that are tough. Well, that's true, and it depends on what loss. What One that I remember in particular, Redbirds lost a, a championship game in the Missouri Valley Tournament in St. Louis, and the obligation is for our sponsors to have a player on after every game, whether a win or a loss. But it was such a devastating loss for the team. Uh, they believed and, and found out later that it did cost them a spot in the NCAA tournament. And the player we had on broke down. He was just really, really hurting uh, yeah. emotionally. And, and he couldn't help but show it. And it's understandable that he showed it. Tried to tell him that uh, I did tell him that we we appreciate your sharing your emotions with us. We know how tough this was, but in a situation like that, interviewing a player and getting it to last for at least two or three minutes is is very very challenging. Yeah, and so my relationship with Dick uh, becomes a lot more my sophomore year. I'm a redshirt sophomore, and game in and game out it is Gerard and Sonny, Gerard and John, John and Sonny, Randy, the, the sophomores are all going to WJVC. The seniors and Coach Donawald are going to TV10 because there was a little fallout between Coach Donawald and WJVC. So I didn't know about this until I had coffee with Dick on uh, Thursday and when we were recording this just five days ago. So you got to tell this story. Yeah, well, the reason that we didn't get the the player, the top player in the game, you mean? Yeah. Well, it was. Yeah. 
Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Are you, are you referring to me as not the top player? Is if that you, what I'm hearing? If you would have been, you would have gone to Al Shepsky. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> you said the name, I didn't. But the, Al the cause of yeah. that was a breakdown in the relationship between Bob Donawald, your coach for three of your years, and WJBC, and specifically a breakdown in the relationship between Coach Donawald and myself. He was really unhappy with something I said on our sports talk show, didn't tell me about it until I arrived at Horton Fieldhouse to interview him and one of his players. This was in 1983. I don't remember which player. Two years before I got there. Yeah, it yep. was before John played. Yeah. And yeah. he just took off after me, started screaming at me in front of all of his players and assistant coaches, and there were a few other people there to watch the practice, and told me that he would never do another interview with me again, that he was going to try to make sure I was not able to do an interview with anybody at Illinois State University again. And I walked out of there just shocked at what had happened and starting to wonder whether I was going to be able to hang on to my job, how much power he had. Well, I learned that that he didn't have that kind of power over me, that the radio station WJBC totally supported me and, and I continued. But after that season, the uh, the relationship, the, the, the agreement of, of Bob Donawald to do pre- and post-game interviews with us and have one of his players come up and, and talk to us was uh, broken, and it, it never was revived and, and until after he was gone when Bob Bender yeah. became the coach, and then it was renewed. But that was a tough time for me. It was really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, After I'd been through it for a few years, I, I actually started thinking about looking for another job, and I did attempt to get the uh, job with the Minnesota Timberwolves, who uh, mm-hmm. came into the NBA, I think, in 88 or 89. Yeah. And I yeah. applied for that job, and I didn't get it. And you know who did get it is Kevin Harlan. You know that name? Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes sense that I didn't get it because he is outstanding. <laughs> but I'm actually glad I didn't get it right now because – yeah. The, the experience I've had in this community, the experience I had at WJBC, at State Farm, and, and with Illinois State University Athletics, uh, I, I can't believe that I would have had a better life working in the NBA. So you, you never were able to interview him? Uh, no. From, from uh, that not point from on? that point on. And... and... After I heard the story, I called Gerard and Sonny and, and, and Randy, and we were all chatting. We're like, oh, my God, that makes so much sense. All of a sudden, we understand what was – as players, especially in that era, we were very much confined to just us. We didn't understand what was the politics and the money and all the stuff that goes into student-athletes around us. We were really sheltered. Um, not a bad thing. You know, it was a very good thing for us, right? It made our bond really good. Uh, It just was, you know, a chance. And so, yeah, it was great. I mean, my senior year, all of a sudden, we're back in JBC. We didn't even think about it, but TV10 was now out, and Bender was there. Now, mind you, I believe Hottie was either the assistant coach at Bloomington when Coach was there. But uh, I hear during the tapes all the time, 
soon as the interview's over with, as you guys are wrapping up the interview, getting ready to go to commercial, you go to commercial and Bob's like, yeah, yeah, howdy, I'll see you for breakfast on Saturday at whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, and, and I, I've known that relationship since I've graduated, right? And so, um, and, yeah. Tom Hodgson so, is just a wonderful person. He, wonderful when guy. I first came here, he was, he was the color analyst for Redbird basketball games. And so that's when I first got to know him. And he just made me feel so good about doing what I was yeah. doing. He was yeah. And he was the head coach at Bloomington when Bob Bender played for the Raiders. Oh, oh head first. Okay. Uh, so okay. he coached Bob. And, uh, yeah. and then just loved the opportunity to be the, yeah. the radio analyst yeah. for a, a couple of seasons of Bob's games before he retired. He's still alive, by the way. He's out in Las Vegas and, and doing well. All right. So something you and I were talking about at coffee. Um, John and I do the technical stuff for our recordings. Yeah. How is it in the Missouri Valley Conference Championship at Redbird Arena, my senior yes. year, a little plug for myself, yes. but my God, there's 11 or 12,000 people in that arena. How do you get any sound out? That was the most electric crowd I think that I've ever, I mean, I've done games with bigger crowds, of course, but that crowd was more electric than I believe any crowd at any game I've ever worked. And so, yeah, I think it, well, I don't remember specifically, it was a challenge. We do have a crowd mic that's separate from the microphone that I'm using and the microphone in that game wow. that Tom Hodgson was using. But we can, of course, adjust the volume of the crowd mic. And sometimes, I think in that game, we probably turned it off and made sure <laughs> that the mics that we were using were very, very close. And so we could turn those down a little bit because that crowd was amazing. But that's that's one thing that, that was challenging. Uh, you would, if you had a, a sparse crowd, you'd want to have it up as loud as you could get away with. But I would, generally speaking, after the game would start and I wasn't sure whether it was at the right level. And so when we had that first time out and we took a, a break, I'd talk to our producer back at WJBC yeah. about how it was. Is the crowd too loud or too soft? And then adjust the, that microphone accordingly. And we can hear those on the tapes, and that's how I know this is happening, because I'm like, oh, my God, that, you know, I feel that. The tapes you have don't include the commercials. They include <laughs> right. what, what the broadcasters were saying off the air, which, judging from what you've been saying, that's a lot more entertaining than the actual broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Sometimes it is. Sometimes you're quiet. Sometimes you're talking stats. No. Sometimes you're, you know, uh, talking how a player is playing. Or, you know, Anthony Bonner <laughs> was on the other side, and he had caught that one over Scott and Gerard. I think his uh, waist was above the basket. And uh, you guys were like, I'm not sure he was even inside the arena when he caught that thing, right? And so, yeah, Hottie was always – Hottie, oh, he's just awesome. He's an interesting, you are too. But, interesting guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So let's talk, there's, you've called lots of memorable games. Okay, so we're going to throw out memorable moments in, in, in Redbird football mm -hmm. and basketball. And then just give us your first impression. So first one we'll go with is the FCS championship game against North Dakota yeah, State. Yeah, that was a beautiful football game. Redbirds took the lead with 99 seconds to go on that long touchdown run by Trey Roberson. I'll never forget calling that. 
I remember saying, touchdown, 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 Redbirds. <laughs> I was just ecstatic. And then, of course, North Dakota State uh, drove down the field. And one big pass completion uh, that yeah. was uh, very well covered but still caught. It was about a 50-yard play or 40-yard play or something like that. Put them in, in the position to score the, the game-winning touchdown. The Redbirds actually came close. They were down two after close. North Dakota State scored that, that touchdown. The Redbirds needed about maybe 20 more yards to get into field goal range. They could have pulled it yeah, out anyway. Yeah. That game was just dramatic. The game before that one at New Hampshire was also a real emotional game. In fact, when, when that game was over and the Redbirds had won and I realized we were heading for the national championship game, I nearly broke down on the air. I was just wow. very, very emotional about that victory. It was, it's one I'll never forget. Um, and the same is true of the, the game that John and I were talking about earlier, the Missouri Valley Tournament Championship game, the last Missouri Valley Tournament game that was not played in St. Louis. In 1990, <laughs> Redbirds beat Southern Illinois 81-78. And as I said, that crowd was as electric as any crowd I've ever witnessed. The game was dramatic. Uh, um, I'll just, I'll never forget after the game, the whole, just about the whole crowd stayed there for so long. It was beautiful. Yep. Um, and then certainly the, the uh, victory at uh, Sacramento in the first round of the NCAA tournament over Tennessee, 1998. Dan Muller scored the winning basket at the buzzer on a pass from Kyle Cartnell. Uh, what a dramatic victory. And then well, in the it, next round, they, it, got, in that game, they got clobbered by Arizona. Both, both, I'm sorry. Both team, in that game, both teams, two possessions score back-to-back. So right. it was like the leads were being exchanged. Yeah. Thank God there was barely any time left right. after that, that <laughs> well, layup. Well, it was right? at the buzzer. The layup was yeah. at the buzzer, and, and uh, they won it. Yeah. And, and I forget, was it tied at that time, or were the birds down a point? They're down. Yeah, I think down. they were, yeah. So what happened was, and they, John always liked to tell this story, right? Uh, um, the lefty, the big guy. Leroy yeah. Watkins, come Leroy on, give Watkins, the big. He had scored. Yes. Then Tennessee came down and scored. Yeah. And then ISU yeah, scored. Yeah, that's right. Watkins scored the second to the last basket in that. I tease Kyle and Dan that they just didn't play defense on the other side because they wanted to be the heroes, <laughs> right? Because it should have been a big, right? It, it should be Leroy going down. I mean, he took the ball from the top of the key as a big, right? In the days where bigs weren't really dribbling yet. Went to the rack left-handed and a sweet little jelly roll. And, yeah, so. That was wonderful. How about the, uh, they were in this game uh, um, against, I believe it was Evansville. Yeah. Uh, Trelock throws a three-quarters pass. That prolific three-point shooter, Jackie Carmichael, gets the ball, <laughs> banks it in, and then everyone just goes nuts after that game. Yeah, too. that was because he banked it in is part of the reason why it was so memorable. <laughs> you know, the other, I think it was about a half court, maybe a little bit more, that happened at Redbird Arena against Creighton was made by Dana Ford. Dana, Dana Ford. Ford. And I've talked to him. I was at that Dana game. was, of course, an assistant coach for the Redbirds under Dan Muller for a while before he left. And uh, 
and now he's at Missouri State, but I've talked to him a lot about that. He is the funniest guy I think I've ever met. His sense of humor <laughs> is so dry and so wonderful. I remember we were coming back from a trip to Drake. Uh, the Redbirds had won, and uh, we're in this bus, and most of the well, Mike and I and uh, and the sports information director at the time, we were all sitting in the back along with John Munn, the trainer, and uh, Dana came back and started entertaining us. <laughs> <laughs> with some unbelievable stuff. He did it for about an hour, and I think we were all laughing that entire hour. It was great. I got one more for you. So on the same day, Redbird basketball was at Louisville, okay, and, and we almost beat Louisville. Yes. Or there was a playoff game at Appalachian State. Which game oh, were you, I was were at you the, the Appalachian Louisville State game? game. Yep, yep, that's right. Okay. Uh, Greg Hoglib did the the game at Louisville, yeah, and that was that would have been so quite to... a victory. But the Appalachian yeah. State yeah, yeah. game, it was overtime, and the Redbirds scored first. So then App State's turn, they scored, but their extra point was blocked, and that's how the game ended. Wow, that was awesome ending. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah. All right, a sad one by John. The DePaul game. Yes. The game you're talking about, the last game at Horton Fieldhouse until this past fall. Uh, but the Redbirds, that was, it was it was your junior year. Or was it My your junior sophomore year, year? Correct. Junior, junior year, that's right. And, oh, yeah, and, that, and then it was in the middle of the season, and your next game was at the first game ever at Redbird Arena. Uh, yeah, actually... We went on the road for Christmas, okay, right. so we had two or three yes. Christmas games, and then we came back to play Redbird yeah. Arena. Yeah, so my, yeah. But the Redbirds so, yeah. uh, up by, was it one or two? It was it was only, it was two, that's right. We're up we by were two. Up two. So it should have been overtime. The, the guy who shot it, I can't think of his name. Green. Oh, yeah, uh, Green. Terrence, Terrence Green. Green. His, everything was inside the arc except for his left heel. All ten Tootsies were inside the arc, <laughs> and the officials yeah. didn't get it. And that was, of course, long before they could start looking at replays. And so that ended the game. And what a way to finish Redbird basketball at Horton Fieldhouse. So I, I got a question for you. Um, you know, I growing up, I used to listen to you like as a student, okay? Um, you know, the, the, not all the way games were, uh, you know, on TV and right. stuff like that. Had a family in the suburbs. There were some Philly radio, radio stations here. Used to, like, stick my ear to the radio, listen to you. But then, you know, st streaming came, right? Yes. And, and uh, um, how, how did that change the whole landscape of, of, of radio? And, and the well, surely game? nowhere near as many people listen to radio broadcasts of, of any team's games today as opposed to 20 years ago um uh, you, you just everything's available on on your uh, on either on your phone or your ipad or your laptop or on your television set uh, you just you have to know technically how to get to it and some of us older folks are not very good at that but um but the audience isn't what it used to be and that's uh, you know that 
did bother me a little bit toward the end of my career, but when it came time to do the game, I, I hope that it didn't impact uh, the, the, you know, the effort that I put forth to do my job. But it, it is different today. There's no question about it. Radio play-by-play, -play, you know, I grew up, I said that earlier, I grew up dreaming of being a radio play-by-play -play announcer because I listened to my favorite guy who did gopher football and basketball. His name is Ray Christensen. I'm sure you've never heard of him, but he, he worked for about 40 years for the Gophers and died just a few years ago. And I loved his work, and I would listen to him constantly, and I wanted to do what he was doing. And, uh, and I, I got to do it. But today, um, you shouldn't, even if you, you do listen to somebody and you love what they're doing and you want to do it yourself, it's probably best that you find something else. Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest compliments, and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, but there's a lot of people who watch the games, they stream them, okay? The announcers that they put on those they're not the best, right? There's a lot of students and, and, and whatnot. And what do they do? They turn it down and they, they, they turn you on, you know, next. So For 10 that, years in Colorado and six years in Arizona, that's exactly what my wife and I would do, watching it on ESPN, turn the volume down. I brought in my uh, one of my old computers, put up four big speakers, and JBC would be playing in the game while we were watching the game. So, but, yeah, But absolutely. the timing is almost always off. A little bit, a little bit, but you know what? It was a lot better to have your voice on instead of listening to the ones that couldn't get names right or didn't know what the heck was going on or, you know, were totally biased toward the other mm. team, yeah. you know, and so. I know, appreciate that. I've, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's what I've heard from other people who, who say they've done that as well, and that's, that's really that. nice. Your floor is yours. Close. Well, um, I, I referred to it earlier. The experience I've had here in Bloomington Normal, I just can't imagine my life could have been better than it's been. Obviously, there were good times and challenging times, and, and uh, tough things happened to everybody. But overall, the life I've had here, because of this community, I love Bloomington Normal. I've lived here for 42 years now, and it's a, it's a fantastic place to live. It's a wonderful place to bring up kids. Uh, I had two daughters, and I, I'm so proud of both of them. Neither one of them are here anymore, but but they're in good places, and they have kids. And so grandparenthood is a, a very good thing. You guys should know that because uh, perhaps someday you'll be in that position. Uh, Hopefully. Yeah. The community, the radio station, WJBC, as I said earlier, just a, I can't imagine working for a better, a more inspiring place than that. Even in a big market, I can't imagine. It's, it's, it was just fantastic. It's not the same as it was. It's still, it's still here. They're still, they're still doing their work, but it's, it's not like it was. State Farm, this headquarters of State Farm, I didn't even realize when I moved here that State Farm was headquartered here. And it's, <laughs> it's the number one auto and homeowners insurance company in the country and has been for years and years and years. And as John knows, it's a wonderful, wonderful place to work. And then Illinois State University, Illinois Wesleyan University and the, and the high schools here as well. But Illinois State University has been the main school for whom I've, I've worked games. And um, 
the coaches, the athletic directors, the players. Uh, you know, there's there's John Pemberton, but there's so many other players that I've that I've gotten to know, and coaches like Bob Bender, and uh, Dan Muller, and Tim Jankovic, uh, Kevin Stallings. I love getting to know him. They're just they're great guys. Porter Moser, athletic directors. John, you mentioned Ron Wellman. What a wonderful person he was. But Larry Lyons, who was an athletic director uh, until just before the time that I left. Uh, a great guy. It, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure other schools have wonderful people as well, but I can't imagine that I would have had a better experience at any other Division One school than I had at Illinois State. Yeah, and I can never thank you enough. My sophomore year as a red shirt, I was in the doghouse a lot, and I was always around the road eating with you and Tom LaMonica and Ruben and you know, you guys helped me a ton through that redshirt year and then always making sure that we were ready to be on the air and, you know, getting us settled down or, you know, getting ready to do whatever. And so uh, yeah, I talked to Trod and Sonny and, and Randy, my guys, and they all wanted me to pass along. Thank you. Right. And so it's just been such a family atmosphere and I'm glad to be a part of this and, and to have you announce the games and, and be a mentor to us was just Phenomenal, right? You asked the tough questions, but fair questions also. Well, and so, the chance to reconnect with with you, which I've done quite a bit here recently, but I would love to do the same with Randy Blair and and Sonny Roberts and Gerard Coleman and so many others. I did obviously yeah. get the chance to reconnect with Dan Muller, and I have gotten the chance to do so with other players as well. Todd Cagle is still here in town. There are others yep. who are here as well. But but the, the chance to see those guys again, Lou Stefanovich, I, I listened to his show uh, here <laughs> on Bird Fans Forever. It was wonderful. And I've, I've gotten to see Lou. He, he tends to come to the uh, Hall of Fame induction yep. breakfast, which I usually emcee, and I saw him there recently. Just seeing Ricky Johnson is another one. I, I could go on and on and on and on. I know we don't have time to do that, but it's, it's so good to, to reconnect with all of you guys. So, Dick Lucky, thank you very much. This is episode 34 of Bird Fans Forever. Freeloff looks as he is handed the ball and throws it way down the floor, and it's caught by Carmichael. He fires. It's good. It's good. And the Redbirds win the game. Carmichael hits a three, and the Redbirds win the game. Can you believe it?